Hi, and welcome to Crossing Borders Conversations, creating dialogue in the NGO world. My name is Owen Savage. At Crossing Borders, we empower people by creating spaces for dialogue around some of society's most important issues. The aim of this podcast is to create conversation around these topics and inform you of some of the work we're doing across the world. We want to help improve workers' rights, so we often include the UN's eighth sustainable development goal, decent work and economic growth, in our projects. In 2018, Crossing Borders and the Danish trade union 3F organised a maritime labour management seminar, where Ghanaian port workers came to Denmark to learn about Danish unionisation. The ports in Ghana are state-owned and generate a huge income to the national budget. A large majority of Ghana's international trade passes through its two main ports, so their smooth running and organisation is crucial for its economy and foreign trade partners. Therefore, good relations between management and staff are essential. In the seminars, members of the unions under the umbrella organisation TUC Ghana learn about Denmark's labour model, where organisations representing employers and employees meet every year, negotiating pensions, holidays and pay, among other issues. They try to keep a healthy, ongoing dialogue, and it's only when agreement cannot be achieved that mediators step in. Crossing Borders developed a programme specifically designed for maritime dock workers in Ghana to build their capacity in terms of defining and advocating for their interests in negotiations with employers and management. Now, to a modern labour struggle in the gig economy. On February 19th, 2021, the UK Supreme Court ruled that Uber drivers must be treated as workers rather than self-employed. The decision could mean that thousands working for Uber are entitled to a minimum wage and holiday pay. The week before that, Spain's Labour Ministry, Trade Unions and Employers Associations agreed to a law improving the rights of food delivery workers, granting them the status of permanent staff instead of self-employed. I spoke to Jack Campbell from the workers' group fighting for better employment rights for couriers who ride and drive for the food delivery company named Vault in Copenhagen. If we start off, can mm-hmm. you just tell me, like, well, tell me what Vault is for a start? That would be good. Yeah, so Vault is a, uh, yeah, a Finnish technology platform that, um, that provides the logistics for food delivery um, mm. in a lot of major cities in Europe. Um, so I think Denmark is one of its biggest markets, if not its biggest. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, effectively, well, it's similar to like Deliveroo, Uber Eats, Globo, all these different kind of like, um, like food platforms, um, where it's effectively an app and you can order food from it. Um, and yeah, they tend to operate with a labor model where the, where the couriers are employees, they're independent contractors. Yeah. So yeah. basically freelancers. Um, which means that they don't have any obli- like Walt doesn't have any obligations towards the the couriers themselves, like in oh, terms of sick pay, okay. yeah, okay. sick pay, pension plan, holiday pay, like the kind of usual things that every Danish employer would have to have to provide to employees. Uh, they yeah. don't have to provide at all. Right. Um, and you've been, you were a Vault worker yourself, and so was yeah. I, I mentioned that for the podcast, <laughs> only a couple of months yeah. in the summer, but you know, I did. I was did a, your time. I was a Volta, that's yeah. I did my time. Yeah, 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 I did it for eight months, I think, eight, nine months, um, yeah, and like, yeah, I mean, I should say, like, it wasn't, it's not one of the worst jobs I've had in a lot of ways, like, especially compared to some, like, kind of office-based jobs I've had where you're just sitting at a desk, kind of waiting for the day to end like 
you know, cycling around in a city like Copenhagen with like good cycling infrastructure. Mm. Some on some days I could really enjoy it, uh, but obviously, yeah, as we'll go into, there's also massive downsides to to being a courier. Yeah, <clears throat> because yeah, I actually, as you know, did my thesis on Volt as well, and that's I think it's an important thing to talk about because a lot of uh, the migrant Volt riders I was interviewing actually compared it in a really positive light to other service industry jobs. They're mm-hmm. saying things like, all right, I'm cycling around, learning about the city. You know, I'm sort of mapping out city in my head, you know, it's fresh air, mm. it's good exercise, and there's nobody actually directly telling me what to do. Yeah. Whereas in another service job, you know, you could be pretty bored just pouring somebody pints. There yeah. might be someone, like, looking over your shoulder, telling you what to do. Yeah, so there are definitely positive aspects about it as well. Yeah, definitely, so. definitely. Um, but yeah, obviously, I suppose you have to take into consideration that they make a tremendous amount of money. Like, I think it was, it's been um, rumoured or kind of very strongly hinted at that they earned, I think, upwards of 250 million crowns during one quarter during the pandemic okay. uh, so one financial quarter of the year that is yeah. so they're making a yeah tidy pool. a lot of money yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna swear but i'll try not to swear yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, throw in the occasional <laughs> swear word but, okay um, yeah well i'll leave it in this occasion but yeah, yeah so they're making a hell of a lot of money and that doesn't go to careers largely okay all right so i guess yeah you have this uh flexibility which can be a positive mm. but then it can also there are negative aspects of that flexibility, yeah. I suppose. As well. Yeah, so in a sense, it's... In, in, in one sense, it's flexible for the courier because you can you can just choose to work basically whenever you want between the hours of, I think, 8 in the morning and 11 o'clock at night. Um, so, yeah, you could just suddenly decide to just log on and work. Um, but there's also the massive downward side of that flexibility is that... Um, because we're independent contractors, they can hire as many people as they want at no extra cost, mm-hmm. basically. Um, so, yeah, so Walt is currently hiring, you know, thousands more couriers. They want to hire 2,000 more couriers in Copenhagen. There's around 1,500 or 2,000 now, and they want to double that effectively. Um, so that obviously means that it's much harder for, for couriers to get the tasks that they need to actually make money. Yeah, and what, yeah, maybe explain... For people, the difference between working when it's um, uh, you have a shift which is official and when you don't, because there is a difference between yeah. those, right? So. Yeah, so it's a little bit confusing, but essentially, if you have a shift, um, you're guaranteed to make 120 crowns an hour, and um, any extra tasks you do within that hour, you can earn upwards of that 120 crowns, but you've got that as a base minimum, so you could do zero tasks that hour and still make 120 crowns an hour. Um, And then without without a shift, you're just getting paid per task, which is a minimum of 45 crowns per delivery. Um, And the shifts, I mean, yeah, again, like the more couriers that they hire, the harder it is to get shifts. So um, speaking to, I was speaking to couriers on Thursday and a lot were saying, which is something that I experienced while working there as well, is that shifts get released and within 30 seconds they're all gone. So it's not possible to get any shifts whatsoever. Okay. Um, if your phone crashes, if, you know, anything, like, you just don't, you, you try and click on one that too many people have clicked on, then you then you end up with nothing, basically. Okay. So 
it's flexible sometimes in a way but also in another way especially for the more precarious careers if they need if if they're very reliant on the income from uh from being a world career then um they yeah they effectively have to have to be free basically any time that um that that there are tasks all right okay and what about um so you've been involved in the vault workers movement yeah with 3f maybe just explain a little bit about the process of uh, like how did you get involved mm. and like how yeah how's it been what have you what are you trying to change uh yeah so basically i think it's been going for um yeah maybe about 18 months or so where um some couriers got in touch with the union 3f uh about yeah the difficulties they've been having at work and and we're looking for yeah to help um organize other couriers around around those difficulties and um yeah free free f got those different careers who'd been in touch to, uh link them together um so then they became kind of like a bit of a group who were handing out leaflets and talking to other couriers organizing meetings like um and essentially like the 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 basic demand is that we have um a collective agreement mm-hmm. with free f uh, which would mean that we would become employees and would then <clears throat> receive the kind of yeah sick pay pension plan everything like that so that's kind of been our main demand and then beyond that it's kind of you know it's it's open i suppose to mm-hmm. to to what that kind of agreement could look like um and yeah i've been involved for a year now um and yeah i suppose when i first joined it it was just yeah like a small number of people coming to the meetings uh and yeah like kind of like a small online presence but not many people knew about us um and yeah over the course of 2020 we've grown grown massively so there's a lot more world careers who are aware of us and supportive of us um and have become actively involved in our group um but as well as that we've yeah we've got a lot of support from the wider trade union movement as well so other kind of branches in free f as well as uh the teachers have been very supportive of us and yeah different different sectors i suppose um which is really helpful in kind of giving us confidence in what we're doing and you know if we are to stage any actions or something like that then we know that we could we would have the support of other trade union members um and yeah as well as that we've had the support of uh Suf, who are um yeah kind of like uh the youth wing of uh Enesliston, the yeah. left leftist kind of uh danish party the most left-wing danish party in uh the Folketing, yeah. uh the parliament mm-hmm. um yeah and they've helped us with fundraising uh and yeah with having with having conversations with couriers and helping us to organize um oh, yeah. i could maybe i could go into i don't know if it's interesting like going more into how we do organize a bit yeah yeah also like how do you yeah how do you sort of go about how have you gone about almost putting a bit of pressure on vault as a company yeah 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 so i suppose um i suppose different ways so um so i suppose um through social media like we've um there's like a internal vault careers facebook page that's managed by vault management Mm-hmm. Um, and quite a lot of our members were kind of posting on that saying like you know the way that Walt treat us is disgraceful and we should have better conditions um, and yeah so we managed to kind of like raise our profile within um, within the kind of like Walt Korea kind of online community that way um, 
and yeah obviously we've um yeah we we also made like a facebook page and a facebook group to to kind of get more couriers like interested in what we're doing mm. um and that facebook group as we've kind of had more interactions with the wider trade union movement um as well as uh, couriers in other countries who are doing similar things uh that's grown quite a lot of traction so we got um we had a lot of journalists contacting us uh, which prior to the pandemic we never really had a chance to follow up on yeah um, but then once the pandemic hit um then we decided that was kind of like a good time to uh yeah to to speak to those journalists and um yeah like a member of our group appeared on uh like the dr news so like the main danish news at nine o'clock yeah. uh, which a lot of people saw like i've yeah I've, I've spoken to people out of context who've mentioned that they've seen that news segment um and yeah we also appeared in yeah different media outlets as well um so yeah so we definitely kind of like got more of awareness both amongst careers and also in wider danish society um and i guess because of that um yeah 3f and walt have started negotiating for a collective agreement which is obviously really positive news um and it's kind of unprecedented as well um it, at least in denmark um, there's not I think Fedora in Norway have a collect... Fedora, another uh, food platform company, I should say. Mm. Um, they have uh, they have a collective agreement. The workers there have a collective agreement with a union. But other than that, I don't think there's any other food platforms who, who, who have achieved that. So, yeah, obviously we haven't got it yet and there's a long way to go. Um, but it's a start for sure. <laughs> and what about you mentioned, like, <clears throat> the uh, pandemic and the sort of relationship between this sort of movement and the pandemic. Because when I was doing my uh, thesis research, I found it quite interesting that when the whole of society in Denmark kind of shut down, it was very obvious that vault couriers were still moving about. Mm -hmm. like they were Also, you should probably mention that uh, people working for vault, they have like a sort of massive blue bag and they're sort of head to toe in... Uh, sort of light blue with vault written across it so it's sort of very obvious when you looked out on the cycle paths here it was the sort of vault people bobbing mm. along yeah and then there are also a couple of articles where it seemed as if some blame was being sort of shifted towards vault workers because they were like potential carriers mm. of this disease it was yeah. almost as if there's sort of resentment like how oh, the whole of society is shutting down but yeah they're still moving about in a way yeah um, but how what other aspects of it were there uh i guess it was a it was kind of a confusing time to be a walt courier because usually around easter is when um when orders start kind of drying up and things start to get quite slow but because of the pandemic um there were more orders than there usually would be around that time of year um so that meant that there was a possibility to earn a bit more money but also at the same time a lot of people who maybe had Walt as like a kind of secondary income from another job they lost their primary income from like if they worked in the hospitality sector or or like other you know service sector jobs they might have lost that income so then then they do more shifts for Walt so there were a hell of a lot of people out mm. um and it is obviously quite a scary and stressful time, especially at the start of the pandemic, where no one really knew what this was. Um, but without any financial security from, you know, sick pay or, um, 
yeah, any of those kind of assurances, there was no, there was, there was no option for a lot of people to, uh, to just stay at home. Like people have to pay their rent, their families that they need to feed and, you know, um, so yeah, so it's kind of a very tricky time. And I think it brought like a lot of the things that we as the World Workers Group were saying to kind of like, I guess like national attention, but also amongst careers themselves as well, about the fact that, you know, what did introduce a form of uh, sick pay if you had coronavirus, but it's, yeah, it was nothing really. Like mm-hmm. it was very little. So like, I suppose the things that we were saying around sick pay were, yeah, started to kind of resonate a lot more with couriers. Um, but one downside, well, there were quite a few downsides for us as a group is that we, um, prior to the pandemic, we were kind of having face-to-face conversations with couriers a lot, which we found kind of cut through some of the disagreements that yeah. people had online. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also obviously had like face-to-face meetings and, you know, after the pandemic or during the pandemic, we tried to have some online meetings, but, um, yeah, it just, it was really difficult to organize. Um, and yeah, a lot of us like kind of organizers of the group were kind of a bit hesitant to be out on the streets and having, you know, close contact with other people, especially people who might have touched every door in Copenhagen. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was kind of a, a bit of a weird time, I suppose for that. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to organize a group of people who don't have a fixed workplace at the best of times, let alone yeah, when yeah. you're, you have to keep a two meter distance from them. Yeah. 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 So that's not good for uh conversations. <laughs> yeah. yeah Just not. shouting at people across the road. Yeah. yeah you could Organize. Do. You should have done that. Yeah. yeah. We could have tried. Yeah. We could start now. Yeah. yeah. I guess. But also, yeah, you mentioned the uh, sort of international aspect of it because this is something happening now in Copenhagen but then is it uh how do you see it like as a sort of microcosm of other workers movements at the moment mm. because I suppose like dealing with these working models is uh is something relevant to a lot of different societies right yeah I suppose perhaps it does resonate pretty well in Denmark mm. because workers rights in general are fairly strong mm. so I think, yeah, when I, again, when I was doing my thesis, um, it was, yeah, it, it was apparent that, like, in, in the specific Danish context, Danish people were, um, reacted badly to this mm. kind of working model. Mm. Um, and that is perhaps why it was, uh, there's been, like, a few articles in the main Danish newspapers about it, like, it really resonates with people. Yeah. But uh, yeah, how do you see it as an aspect of wider movements? You know, um, is this happening in other places right now or is it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, I suppose from my knowledge, like the most developed place in terms of resistance to food platforms is in the UK against uh, Deliveroo. So mm. there's a trade union there called uh, IWGB, which are kind of new grassroots trade union. Um and yeah they've been they've been organizing with couriers for a couple of years now and there's been i mean it should be said that i think deliveroo act quite differently to walt like they're very um yeah they're brutal basically uh and i mean walt are as well like (laughs) but they i think they think of themselves as nice guys or whatever i don't know um whereas i think yeah deliveroo are kind of yeah the, the typical evil capitalist 
face that you can think of, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, they're constantly making things more difficult for, for careers there. Um, so, yeah, so there's been a lot of success in the UK with resisting this. Um, yeah, also, I mean, like, that. yeah, there's definitely, like, a global dimension to this. And, like, we've noticed that through through our Facebook group going. So, like, we've had walk couriers from uh, Israel, Japan, um, Bulgaria, I think, mm-hmm. uh, Slovenia, all joining our group and, like, really interested in what we're doing and talking about whether they can start something similar in their country. And, yeah, I'm speaking to to a group of couriers from Slovenia soon about, um, yeah, about how they can start organizing there, uh, which is really exciting. Um, and I think like, I think, you know, like a, a Walt courier in Copenhagen has a lot in common with like a Uber Eats rider in, you know, uh, Canada or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like it's, you know, there is like, there is a massive global dimension to it and it's kind of, yeah, it's it's interesting how it's kind of like a classical Marxist kind of um yeah, like understanding of capitalism in a way that like the working class globally suffer at the hands of kind of um yeah. the owners of capital, I suppose. Um yeah. but I guess like there's another element to the international dimension that's kind of interesting that um that a lot of like a large majority of uh, the Copenhagen world workforce um, come from abroad um, and maybe here like on a short-term visa um, or yeah once we're here on like working holiday visas but yeah that's changed a bit now Um, but yeah but a a lot a lot of these people um, like from Latin American countries would be middle or upper class at home so might have like a you know antipathy or like negative kind of feeling about kind of working class politics basically so you know if you say the word trade union to them then not not all of them are going to react positively necessarily like I still think a large number do definitely but yeah there's kind of a um yeah that kind of like global element to it as well where where people's um class privilege in their home country doesn't necessarily relate to the the position that they find themselves in in a country where they're temporarily living um yeah and there's kind of like contradictions there that are kind of hard to hard to get over sometimes yeah <clears throat> and i guess in a sort of more yeah in a, in a more globalized sort of labor market um you have potential for people to find themselves in interesting class positions mm. now that they wouldn't have found themselves in before like the the sort of proletariat mm. on the working the class of workers yeah yeah it's not quite as simple as it uh was before because yeah i found it interesting um with like the idea of so there's a writer guy standing who mm. you probably used who talks about the, the precariat yeah so instead of talking about the proletariat and the sort of working class the class of people who are you know in work mm. um but is still sort of at the bottom of society. Uh, the precariat are characterised by very flexible jobs which mm. where they can be laid off. So I suppose this uh, movement you're a part of is important because mm. it is a, a microcosm of the the precariat. Yeah. Um, and this sort of working model yeah. is 
yeah, it allows people to just be mm. laid off at any opportunity. Exactly. And I mean, you see it within within countries as well. So like, particularly like I'm thinking of like the UK where I come from, like um, I know a lot of people who went to top universities doing like good degrees or whatever, worked hard, came out with good grades and then then they're pulling pints in like for a minimum wage job or working for Deliveroo and like they they think yeah I'll do this for a bit until I then land a graduate job that that graduate job never comes because they're mm-hmm. so competitive mm-hmm. so then they're kind of like despite often coming from quite middle class backgrounds find themselves you know living at home with their parents not saving any money whatsoever like not not a chance of getting on the housing ladder um, and similarly I think in Denmark as well like I mean I think on average it takes um, Danish people six months after they graduate to to find a job, um, and I mean I don't know what that says necessarily about like, you know, social mobility and stuff like that. But like, there's definitely like a large portion of like young Danish people who maybe come from a certain background and almost like because of what they've been told their whole life, kind of expect a certain lifestyle and expect you know a certain job, and it never comes, and they end up you know, working for Walt or working, you know, in, in a bar or something for, you know, it could be years and, and never, you know, never, never kind of progressing in the way that, um, the, like the kind of promise of like neoliberal capitalism sort of tells you that you will do. Um, it's a meritocratic system as well, where you sort of assume that yeah. when you do the right things, you're going to end up in the right position. I yeah. suppose that is being the reality of people's situation yeah exactly challenging that meritocratic idea. yeah totally yeah because i mean yeah so like you're now faced with like in a lot of countries where there's obviously a pool of uh a pool of people who are yeah there's a, there's absolutely no meritocracy whatsoever where they come from like a, a working class or like a lower income background and and there's very little opportunity for them to to rise up the ladder in any sense but then also yeah like like the problem like well problem like the the kind of squeezing out of a middle class as well where um yeah like I was saying like these yeah uh younger people especially are struggling to 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 get anything yeah <laughs> yeah and that is in the context of a sort of shrinking middle class yeah at least in sort of western um societies yeah at the moment um, yeah and it's yeah. kind of like it's interesting to try and think about and I think like kind of like the work we're doing trying to organize world careers is kind of a microcosm of it in a way of like how do you how do you build solidarity between between those groups of people who who've never been promised any social mobility in their life really who've always you know been for like had a difficult relationship with you know education and um you know have have never have never had the promise of of rising in, in, in a sense and then between those people and and the people who who uh yeah are from kind of like maybe more middle class backgrounds but are pushed into kind of insecurity and like how do you how do you find common ground between those tensions because there obviously is a lot of common ground and the way you know the way out of it is for those kind of you know those kind of two groups if if they even are two groups but like to to kind of build alliances but how you do that is kind of tricky yeah yeah and what about yeah i'll just ask you as well about the direct experience of being a vault courier because i found that's what i was quite interested in doing my research and um yeah so when you're when you do have this sort of massive 
blue bag on and you're going about Copenhagen going into restaurants mm. and um, picking up food did you ever find there was any awkwardness or how was it like actually doing the job going into these restaurants picking up the food was it was it mm. always easy were there any conflicts or was it uh, I guess there's a kind of like um, I think but yeah unfortunately like between like a lot of restaurant st- staff and walk couriers there can be kind of like a hierarchy there where yeah I did definitely notice in a lot of places of restaurant staff treating you like uh, yeah like shit basically mm. uh, and then um, yeah you kind of have to yeah the, the, like and the lack of respect as well so like other, I've seen other walk couriers talk about the fact that they've uh, asked to use the bathroom when they've gone into a restaurant and they've not been allowed to use the bathroom yeah. it's kind of like well I'm working for you effectively during this time so you know surely I should have the decency to be able to use the bathroom um so yeah there definitely there definitely is a is quite a big tension there um which as I say is quite unfortunate because I mean often you know often people in the service sector working in these restaurants like wait waiters or you know yeah different restaurant staff themselves have exploitative bosses and yeah you know face like quite similar conditions to to the ones that walk couriers face and i mean many of them probably also are walk couriers um so yeah so i think it's really important that um i mean there's always more to be done but like to try and again like try and work out a way to kind of like build build solidarity between those things and work out a way that there can be mutual respect um but yeah i suppose it's, it's and i think there's it's inevitable i suppose that there's a bit of a tension there because it's kind of like while couriers are always in a rush like you're always late for a delivery especially Mm -hmm. during rush hours or at least being told that you're always late for a delivery uh so you're you know hurry like you want the restaurant to hurry up and give you their food and similarly like you know a lot of the restaurant staff are run off their feet as well so it's not surprising that there can be attention there um i almost felt as if uh yeah when i was doing the job mm. myself and from some other people i interviewed for it was as if it was as if, uh, so you have this new working model yeah. where you have, and it's important to say that Vault actually serves some um, restaurants which are a little like higher class almost. It's not just sort of fast food. There are some quite nice restaurants that... Lots of sushi yeah, places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vault then. So but it was as if, so you go into the restaurant and you're sort of expected to wait somewhere somewhat awkwardly mm. to get this food. But it's still just a restaurant. It was as if um, the restaurants were using this working model, mm. but they hadn't actually adapted their space to it. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. then, as the worker, puts you in a slightly strange position. Mm. Often, I, I don't know. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't just me, but I felt quite awkward mm. just being in the restaurant, almost sort of being in the way. Yeah, you know. And yeah, yeah. Other people I spoke to talked about or you know sort of shuffling through mm. a busy restaurant with a yeah. massive bag like bumping into people yeah getting some nasty looks yeah and yeah the people who were actually handing over the food were also a little bit resentful mm. um but i guess having vault in general is making these restaurants money yeah then exactly the, the people who are suffering the slight um awkwardness, awkwardness and, of yeah. the social interaction mm. um yeah, they're not benefiting in that way. And that's yeah. also goes for the people, you know, the people in the service industry jobs who are working at the restaurant. You know, yeah. they're not seeing the profit from yeah, the yeah, yeah. 
yeah. but they're having to deal with an extra layer of annoyance yeah. to their roles, yeah. which causes a kind of friction as well. Yeah, it? exactly. Because I mean, yeah, like you say, like what becomes quite important in their whole, in all of their profit, but then you know the restaurant doesn't have. A lot of restaurants don't have like a specific place for world couriers or something no, like that, or a no. specific place for delivery people. So yeah, you just kind of awkwardly there, like get a lot of resentful looks from people mm-hmm. eating their food or stuff. Yeah, yeah. which is fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that. Thanks, everyone. Good, That's all right. Good vault. Chat. Good to be in your room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you mean my studio? Yeah. <laughs> If you want to help Crossing Borders make new projects to empower people through dialogue, consider becoming a member for only 25 kroners a month at crossingborders.dk. Thanks for listening.